News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel here with Professor Christina Greer. Hello. Good Wednesday morning. Hi, Harry Siegel. Hey. How goes uh, the very beginning of your new semester? <sighs> I'm breathing through it. It's going to be a fantastic semester. Um, you know, just trying to stay safe, make sure there's no COVID, no monkeypox, no shark attacks, just all the things. <laughs> ah, so it's been another busy week, as they all are, in New York City. As we're recording this, uh, Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul are laying out their big gun-related public safety announcement now that New York will have to give out many, many more gun licenses and is trying to carve out as big a gun-free set of uh, zones and businesses and so on as possible, including a, a newly defined, swelled-up Times Square uh, where people even with licenses will not be allowed to carry and that will surely be challenged in court the governor has also announced that she supports a new bill that's been sitting on her desk that would cap class sizes. Uh, this, of course, would mean even with enrollment declining, a need to hire many more teachers. Eric Adams has objected, but Hochul this week suggested, speaking with Brian Lehrer, WNYC, that it just comes down to funding that mandate, and she expects that issue to be resolved. Um, Adams talks a lot about control. Um, Accepting the, the, this cap, which, which would be just sort of another bite into uh, mayoral control of the schools and how much discretion, uh, you know, he and his chancellor have over the system would, would seem to indicate otherwise. Um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is continuing to send irregularly and on no clear rhythm and with no communication buses full of migrants, some of whom apparently want to be in New York City. Others of whom are getting bussed up here and immediately leaving for other destinations. This is further straining what had already been a strained shelter system and has led to a back and forth that Abbott, who's running against uh, Beto right now, seems to be greatly enjoying and uh, politically, at least perhaps getting the stronger side of a Rikers just after Brad Lander, Jumani Williams, and Carlina Rivera made an unscheduled trip there and said the conditions were still unacceptable, but that they were that they saw real signs of improvement. The New York Times reported on an imminent 13th death already this year. Um, after 40-year-old Michael Nieves uh, was placed on life support and is not expected to make it after he slit his throat and bled out in a unit for uh, people with serious mental illnesses as a captain and two corrections officers watched for 10 minutes in a scene that apparently was caught on video. Finally, Eric Adams, against pretty much all conceivable evidence, um, as, as the prominent candidates he endorsed to run against members of the Working Families Party, all lost. Um, the most three prominent ones, uh, uh, one of them came close, the other two were crushed, insisted he had a, a very good primary night, nonetheless, somehow, and actually pointed to Dan Goldman's win in NY10, where he spent $4 million to get 16,000 votes 
and barely by about a thousand votes ended up uh defeating uh Yulin New. New now she's conceded the primary in effect, but is flirting with running on the working families party line in the general. The working families party seems to be promoting that idea. Democrats in Washington and otherwise, you know, I I, I think have real nervousness about that uh you know with everything coming up in washington the idea of having a, a race where new would need to draw national money to have any chance of being competitive and make herself some sort of cause solemn and that would of course a democrat versus working families party fight drain attention and resources from democrats in competitive races to try to maintain control of congress running against Republicans. So that seems to be the state of play. Uh, Chrissy, it's the end of August now. You know, Labor Day is about to be here. Uh, mayor Eric Adams is no longer the new mayor. He's just the mayor. He says he's doing great. How's he doing? Well, I mean, the question that a lot of folks have is does the mayor like playing the role of mayor or does he actually like being mayor? He's really great at being everywhere. You know, you look at his schedule, city and state puts out, you know, it's scheduled each morning or a truncated version. I mean, and he's, you know, he's doing morning events and day events and afternoon events and early evening, late night events, you know. And then, of course, you've got the Times piece that I thought was a bit of a nothing burger, but like, okay, he hangs out late at night with quasi shady characters. That's just, I thought that was just a shot across the bat to let us know they're watching him. Inexpensive restaurants where he says he's footing all of his own bills, but emphatically refuses to provide to any receipts. Said bills. And you're going to the same place 14 times in one month. Like, yeah. come on, sir. Right? So this is like, you know, <laughs> I read that and I was like, ooh, are we TikToking down to indictments? Not sure. But clearly that piece just sort of, I thought was a signal of, we are watching you and things, something in the buttermilk doesn't smell right. So we've got a mayor who's doing all the things that de Blasio seemed wholly disinterested in. He's all over. He's in the five boroughs. Remember, he was like, you know, the reporters didn't come to the Bronx with me. Like, they're they're afraid of the Bronx. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to various boroughs. We get it. But what's the substantive legislation? You know, he keeps dipping his toe into political races where he's losing. You know, August 23rd was quasi-embarrassing because he backed a lot of ponies that didn't come across the finish line. Um and he's and been so, doing that since the um, since the speaker's race. Since the speaker's so right race. after he got elected, he's been inserting himself into races and saying, you know, I'm I'm the mayor, I have this mandate, and then then losing. Right. And you remember back in middle school, I don't know if you guys said this, it's maybe a Philly thing. It was like, you know, you're dibbling, dabbling, don't know what's happening. Like there's an aspect to it where it's like you can't keep butting into particular races, whether it's Albany or it's speaker's race, and not winning because in your effort to flex and consolidate power what you're showing is that actually you don't have as much power because the i'm blanking on the names i'm sorry it's more, it's early um the the race that he was really doubling down on his candidate came in third it was like a, a um a state senate race so it's like not only did your your candidate not win they like it was resoundedly he didn't win and so i think eric adams has done 
some things as mayor. And I think that that articulation of what the office is doing, what they plan to do, the seeds that they're actually sowing need to be a lot more clear because right now it seems as though he's at, you know, bond. What is a bond? What's the zero bond? Zero bond, right? It's like, you don't want the narrative to be, you're hanging out at zero bond. And also let's be clear. Um, I had a curfew in high school at midnight. And when I asked my my dad why I couldn't, you know, I was, I was 16, right? So I was like, why can't I hang out after midnight? And he says, the only thing open after midnight is legs. And so I had a curfew. But I think that the, the mayor has never had any inappropriate uh, scandals, which, you know, you remember I had an issue with Saturday Night Live insinuating that he was this like lecherous man, you know, and I, I really think that that's part of it. SNL's just kind of racist nonsense where Black characters are always over-sexualized. But I do think that, like, hanging out at night all the time invites unnecessary drama, potentially. And so that's not to say that he has to be a eunuch and, like, stay in Gracie Mansion and, like, you know, be bored and, like, play Yahtzee at two o'clock in the morning. However, I do think that that New York Times piece that was so long to say relatively not much about all the shady characters he hangs out with. I mean, people who are legit felons. I I think that he's inviting unnecessary conversations that are distracting from the policy and the work and questioning whether or not he wants to do the work as opposed to just the performance of being a mayor and being there, uh, destroying dirt bikes and knocking down wooden um, sheds sheds from restaurants. It's like, okay, now we're getting into like Dukakis era. You're putting on little, you know, caps all the time and playing mayor. What are you doing in the meetings? Who are your deputy mayors? Right? Like, do you and are they the empowered policy? to do anything? There we go. Because you remember de Blasio hired great people and didn't listen to him. Yep. Eric Adams, I think it remains to be seen as to how strong the team is around him and what that relationship and those conversations are. So the New York Times story, which borrowed very generously from a great deal of reporting from Politico's Sally Goldenberg, right. uncredited. Shame. Shame. In it, Adam says, you all followed me to uh, to this restaurant uh, that the Petraeus twins, convicted felons, have in uh, Midtown, Osteria, the Baya. Why don't you all come up and follow me in the Bronx? I, I think I know the answer there, by the way, which is you don't put any of this stuff on your schedule. Right. Which, by the way, raises its own questions. Um, the Daily Beast has a... Uh, an incredible page six style boldface report about the mayor who is not having his uh, coming birthday party. Uh, is turning 62 at zero bond, which is a members only club where admission is $10,000. Again, Adam says he's been a guest through all these questions about who, who's paying for these very generous things, but instead is going to have it at rival club, Ned nomad, uh, who also owns the uh, Soho House. Mm-hmm. Um, it's curated by the former business partner of the Zero Bond guy. And a nightlife source told the Beast they're fighting over Eric Adams like he's a Victoria's Secret model. The uh, guest list includes David Blaine, French Montana, Travis Scott, and Kid Cudi, along with art dealer slash former jailbird uh, Helen Namid. So... Yeah, after 20 years of mayors who chafed 
of performing the job, Massachusetts mayors, by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, just being the face of New York, it's great to see Adams all around the city handing out his cell number, being present. But I do wonder about the uh, the nightlife and the uh, self-celebratory aspects of this and some of the companies keeping, which you mentioned. The guy who he endorsed who lost the worst was Conrad Tillard. <laughs> That's who was running thing, yeah. against a um uh, uh Jasbari Brisbane and lost by if memory serves 54 points. Um Tillard has a history long ago uh with the Nation of Islam uh said 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 some really foul and anti-semitic things at the time has uh that was a long time ago he, he says he, he's grown and changed and his politics have changed. I have no reason to doubt that. I do have to wonder about uh, the mayor putting his mandate and betting his mandate on candidates who are losing by margins like that. Uh, it's also notable just right after the race, I was looking for, for wire photos of him with his candidates. There are none of them. Mm-hmm. So to some extent, I'm wondering if he wasn't half-assing his bets that way. Um, in defending the results, uh, which were really not favorable to him uh, and we haven't even talked about uh Kristen gonzalez sweeping in queens uh which was a just a gigantic uh socialist win as queens on the waterfront has moved farther and farther left and exactly the sort of left uh, adams has put himself in direct opposition to uh she beat another crowley elizabeth uh the cousin of joe crowley who of course aoc uh came out of nowhere to defeat um, you know, in the origin story of the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Adams also pointed to a win from a candidate he didn't endorse, Dan Goldman, who spent $4 million to win 16,000 votes. I'll say it again. My goodness, without notably Adams' endorsement, uh, Adams' spokesperson, uh, Evan Thieu, said generally that, that you can't take these races seriously because they're, they're so low turnout. But apparently the ones where the centrist wins, you can. However, there's now this fascinating question of whether New is going to run again on the Working Families Party line. Right. Looking at this from the outside, reading the tea leaves and talking to people in the campaigns, I think the WFP led this campaign, in effect, for her. They came in, uh, Sochi and her crew, and more or less took it over. She came incredibly close, despite being, I think, fourth, possibly fifth in fundraising. You could call that a win. You could say that's a sign of how much money and how many endorsements she left on the table at the end. Uh, But the WFP is always trying to push Democrats to the left. There's no chance of a Republican winning in this race. There is a nominee. I literally don't know his name and don't expect it to be relevant. Um, Can't imagine it being relevant. Uh, But but does the the WFP have to do this at this point to, to, to live up to all their bluffs about holding Democrats to account? Uh, or, or is that just a disaster for them and potentially for the Democratic Party as it's fighting to maintain control of Congress? And lastly, does Eric Adams get involved in this race? If this happens, uh, New now has until Tuesday to decide now that, and this is just too confusing to even care about, Mondaire Jones, who has who had the Working Families Party line in the general, right. even though the WFP endorsed New in this race, because Jones got to carry their general election line with him when he moved from 17 to 10 to escape Sean Patrick Maloney in these absurd low turnout elections with these crazy maps, the Democrats, I think, brought on themselves by getting too greedy when they they, they drew their own and having mm-hmm. judges strike them down. Mm-hmm. Um, 
does this mess continue into November potentially? And what are the implications for Democrats in New York and nationally and for where the center is if that happens? That's a, that's a mouthful. (laughs) So let me back into the question. I think that Eric Adams needs to stay out of this one. As Whitney Houston said, you better lay low, like lay low. This is, this is not for you. There's no winning for you in this race. So fall back, whether he will or won't remains to be seen. You know, I think new is probably getting a lot of advice from various people who were like, you know, do it. This isn't right. You know, someone spent $4 million. I thought it was 5 million actually, but you know, spent millions of his own money to essentially buy this seat. We don't need more millionaires in Congress. And so if you add up, you know, people love, if you add up, you know, new and Jones and Rivera, like you beat, um, you beat uh, Dan Goldman. Well, that's not how races work. So, and that's not to say that in a general election, when different types of folks pop in and it's not August, do you actually just cruise into victory the way some people are probably telling you? I'm also sure that they're having her look at other seats since she gave up her seat to run. You know, what does the city council look like? You know, what are your chances there? Um, you know, I've I've said this publicly. I struggle to find the relevance of the Working Families Party now, you know, ever since that Cuomo endorsement and doubling down with Cuomo, I'm just sort of like, what is the point of you? So sure, they're around, but, you know, I don't, I used to vote on the Working Families Party line proudly, and then I stopped because I just did not understand, like, besides muddling in elections and making it kind of confusing for Democrats, I didn't really see why I was doing that anymore. Um, And there was a point in time where I really wanted them to exist and like really wanted them to actually push forward candidates. And then after the whole Cuomo debacles, plural, I was just like, you know, this is is the waste of my little fill in the fill in the bubble. So here we are. If she does run, then I think it creates two things. I'll start with the chaos first. It creates chaos. (laughs) But as I said on election night... (laughs) Seems like somebody likes a little chaos and a little messy. So so be it. And we have free and fair elections. So if New wants to run and she has ideas and she clearly has some people who who support her in this particular district, there are sort of moderates, you know, who like a status quo. And then there are a lot of people who are like, come on, Democrats, like stop being Republican light. Like, you know, stop looking like old school Koch in 2022. Like if we're going to be Democrats, big D Democrats, let's have bold ideas. And I think that New is like, let's do it. Say it with your chest. Like, we can have a congressional district that sort of goes to Washington, D.C., and I can team up with, you know, AOC and Ayanna Presley and, and you know, Ilhan and, like, the whole crew, and we can, you know, <laughs> I would say Mondaire Jones, but he's, he won't be there. So, but, you know, Jamal Bowman, who's, you know, an honorary member of the squad. So I think that that's, that's a potential. It could be chaotic in the sense that Obviously, New is going to poke a lot of holes in Goldman. Goldman is going to obviously spend a lot of money to make sure that he gets what he wants. <laughs> I've gone to school with enough rich boys where I know that's usually what happens. So I do think that um, he would be victorious, no matter what her grassroots can. And she had a great grassroots ground game, as we saw. Um, but I do think that in this particular case, and it's November, and he's on the Democratic Party line, you know, he is he is the party nominee. I do think that he would be victorious if, you know, if I were prospecting. Um, and I think he'd spend a lot of money to do that. And so then it sort of creates this 
um, I, I would I wouldn't say an unnecessary conversation, but it is a they're a proxy fight for where we are as the Democratic Party in a lot of ways, where a lot of folks are like, hey, incremental change. We get in there. Let's suss it out. Let's see if we can sort of figure out how we work in the system and slowly but surely change the system. And I think new is is of a group of folks who are like, listen, especially in the era of COVID, if we're going to have bold ideas and really change and think in a new way, this is the time to do it. When when else are we going to have this kind of unique moment? Uh, but I don't think, I, I genuinely, and maybe this is just my bias for, for District 10, I don't think that that district is into that. Um, I don't think that that's, that's who that district really is. I think that they, I think a lot of people want to think that they're that way, but I don't think they are. And I think that the numbers in November, if she does decide to run against Goldman, will show us that that district is really into like, mm, we like all that in theory. <laughs> but when we start adding up dollars and cents, let's just go with the guy who, you know, realistically has, has essentially made the argument, I kind of know the guys in Congress already, like we can get along because we've all kind of been around or we're similar folks or you know i'm a good fit and we go from there mm -hmm. so <laughs> that was a southern mm -hmm. <laughs> i have this origin theory for the present working families party in new york and under uh Sochi in america who takes over from from bill lipton and mm. th this handoff from from white guy leadership to uh a different and more diverse party and this happens after all the unions leave the party because mm -hmm. despite all those endorsements of cuomo he basically tells organized labor you can be with me or you can be with them you got to choose you remember that hostage video mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that that uh at the convention that was the most glorious narcissism of small moments video imagine with cuomo swearing <laughs> Well, these people. And after that, he tells the unions get the fuck out. And the unions do get the fuck out. And the result is the, the, the WFP goes from something that is fundamentally in the orbit of mainline democratic mm -hmm. politics and trying to move that orbit progressively, small p, just a little to the left over time, to, to one where they have an activist base. That base actually determines endorsements. People close to Jones were leaking to a uh, uh, Huffington Post that she had promised their endorsement and then wasn't able to deliver. Maya Wiley's campaign had said the same thing uh, because it, it's necessarily a weak leader. And in interesting ways, Cuomo made the enemy he pretended already existed by pushing labor out and creating a party that doesn't have nearly as much need to compromise. And I can see why they would want to run this race, even if Hakeem Jeffries is on the phone telling them clear out and do not drain time and resources. We can't have this proxy fight right now. We need the focus on maintaining control of Congress in this fight with Republicans. Um, I'm not sure what they have to lose. I, I, I do I'm pretty clear on what Union has to lose. And it's notable that they put out a statement, the WFP, before her, the presumptive candidate, saying that, that they were open to this arrangement. And my sense is they may be trying to pull her to come in and go along. Obviously, Mondaire Jones, who gave up the line, wants no part of that fight against the Democratic nominee. And speaking of wanting no part, Goldman, after Adams brought him up, 
uh, people in his camp noted, uh, uh, yeah, by the way, we didn't ask for the Harrison Torsman mm-hmm. either. You know, he is not a popular figure in that district. So to what extent do Democrats want to air their dirty laundry and fight these things out in public really, I think, remains to be seen. And to what extent could the WFP potentially make them, even if they're not interested? And I think that really depends on on Yulian, who has until Tuesday to make a decision. It doesn't seem like she's going to be a rush there. But having that would, would be fascinating because Goldman like strongly contests the idea he was the moderate in this field, right? Right. And, and that's a shorthand for saying, look, all the Democrats are going to vote the same way on everything as a junior member of Congress. Who are we really kidding? Which I think is probably correct. To me, if I was running, the argument I, I, I would hit is this four or five million. I think it was four million of his private money and then, then maybe another million from his friends. And that's not counting outside money. Right. APAC coming in in a big way. After after Julian, I think at the recommendation of the wfp you know did an interview with the jewish press hemmed in hall of like various other candidates in this pretty progressive district with orthodox jewish voters did about bds and then the paper followed up and she said yeah actually i support it and apac would come into this race with another 10 million dollars mm-hmm. why not if this becomes that that proxy fight and i think that's the nightmare for uh jeffries for pelosi and, you know, for everyone trying to sort sort of frame this narrative between now and November, there's only a handful of competitive races here. And, of course, the WFP could have got involved in NY11, where Max Rose is running for, for a third time rubber match against Nicole Maliotakis. The, the map got redrawn. It's probably even less favorable to him. Right. Um, Chrissy, what races are you going to be watching in New York in November? Um, uh, the governor's race. Um, uh congressional races anything else yeah i mean you know obviously um it'll depend on new to see if 10 is is active and viable i mean because if it is then it's going to be you know we're going to be talking about this for quite some time mm-hmm. i am curious to see the percentage of zeldin votes mm-hmm. you know lately republican gubernatorial candidates have gotten you know like 37 or something like that right um but, you know, obviously some people just can't vote for women, no matter what. Um, and even though he's wildly spouting racist nonsense throughout the state, um, I'm curious to see which Republicans are like, oh, well, not really. Or if they're just like, okay, this is a bridge too far. Like, come on, uh, let's shut this down. So I'm curious to see the percentage that he gets. Um, obviously, I'm following um, the Sean Patrick Maloney race um so that's delgado's former seat and see if he sort of comes in and helps you know have some conversations with folks um because he wasn't in that seat very long so it's not like his relationships are very deep in that seat but you know i'm curious as to what that campaigning looks like and that's um, gonna be a competitive general i think oh yeah absolutely and i mean and this is why you know to be fair this is why i think the times endorsed sean patrick maloney and not mm-hmm. alessandra biagi she is too much to the left of him and they're like this is a purple district that could easily go red so we're going to go with the candidate that we think you know is is spouting the message of of that district and has the best chance of winning um it's interesting you know so yeah i'll be following those races primarily i'm sure that there are others that are like pop into my brain obviously the max rose meliotakis matchup yet again but um 
I do think that this gold, like the Goldman piece is really fascinating to me, actually, um, because I think, you know, he is a very wealthy white guy. There is this kind of label that he gets about being more conservative than I think he actually is. Um, you know, a lot of folks know him from like MSNBC. A lot of folks don't know him at all. And so because of that, it's like, oh, he's just a rich dude who's got, you know, grandpa's millions from the jeans. But you know, to be fair, I mean, he is running as a Democrat and he's, he definitely had some missteps, but I thought some of his missteps were because he was a first time candidate, you know? I mean, I think he and Maya Wiley are both very interesting to me because, um, you know, he might be victorious first time around. There's a difference. She didn't put in $4 million. He did. And she was running for a totally different race, but it is, it's curious to me to see, like, let's just say Maya circles back around having had a little more experience running because that first time running is very difficult. And so I'm always fascinated with kind of like first time candidates versus people who have been around the block just a little bit. Um, And this is why, this is why I think Dan Goldman rubs people the wrong way because he was running against experienced candidates like new had run, had run and won, you know, as a young upstart, Mondaire, same thing, Rivera, same thing, you know, to say nothing of Holtzman and and Simon. I mean, they had like run several campaigns, successful campaigns. So the fact that, you know, it felt for some people felt very gendered for some people felt like, you know, the intersection of race and gender, it's like white boy wants thing, white boy buys thing, (laughs) white boy gets thing. Um, How much did it help this white boy that Bill de Blasio leaves the race and and he he is the the one white boy standing? Well, you know, I I said it before and I'll say it again. I think it definitely helped Goldman. If de Blasio and Goldman were both in the race, I do think that de Blasio would have gotten more than the 380 votes he got. I really do. I think he had he done the see the thing is de Blasio doesn't like to work okay because had he actually campaigned in that particular district for those types of voters in August I'm not saying he would have won but like those are the voters that universal pre K has changed their lives it's changed the lives of like white middle class people white upper middle class people white middle class people so like he could have made an argument and gotten way more than 380 votes had he stayed in I'm I'm. Like, I feel that in my bones. But I do think that, you know, a lot of folks are just accustomed to kind of voting for, like, a Goldman, a de Blasio type cat. Like, that's just, it's easy for them. That's the default button. And I do think that he benefited a little bit from the default button. I'm sure that there were some people who were like, I like new, but listen, I've talked to enough people over time where when it comes to female candidates, especially the mental gymnastics that people will go through to justify why they're not voting for a woman is absolutely insanity. And it's like, they can never really give you a good reason. It's like, well, I don't like, it's like, that's ridiculous. Like, it's it's nonsensical. But for some people, they just can't do it. They just can't do it. You think even in the context of a uh, Democratic primary in like a New York Times reading latte sipping district, that that holds? Yes. Listen, I think... Who people are and who people think they are are two totally different things. I lived on the Upper West Side for 20 years. I could say that with my chest. Okay. So I think a lot of people like to think that they are progressive or like to think that they're liberal. But there's a great line in Watermelon Man, that 1969 movie that Melvin Van Peebles directed. Hey, oh, hey, oh, get you watermelon. And the the super liberal wife and, you know, the bigoted husband, but then he turns black and, you know, she's still a super liberal wife. 
And then all of a sudden she wasn't. And so he's essentially challenging her. And she says, I'm liberal to a point. And I think that there is a lot of New Yorkers, you know, I'm always talking about the different shades of blue in this city. I think a lot of people think that they're way bluer than they actually are. I think a lot of folks like things in theory until they come to their backyard or front yard. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not that person, right? But, you know, we talked about this on the podcast. I think the moment Maya Wiley lost the mayor's race was when she said she wasn't going to increase police on the subway. A lot of people were like, defund the police. It's like, except for the fact that I want police in my neighborhood. I want them on the subway. I want to see these police officers because when a man comes and he's wiling out, like there was a man in my subway this morning talking about butts, screaming about butts. Sir, it's 730 in the morning. We're exhausted. But there are no police in sight. And we don't know if he's going to have an episode. So I think that, you know, who we are as a city and who we think we are, two totally different things. What people want and what people are willing to tolerate, two totally different things. And I think a lot of people in District 10 probably think that they're way more progressive than they are. But it's like, you know, that's when I ask around, what's what's your class diversity in your friend set? What's your racial and ethnic diversity? And P.S., they can't be in your employee. Because <laughs> your nanny's not your friend. So it was in that poll that showed Adams in the uh, toilet that Adams complains was unfair because the people who thought he was doing a so-so job weren't counted as approving of him. Showed 88% of New Yorkers wanted more police on trains, which you would not know reading mm-hmm. any of the op-ed pages, mm-hmm. for instance. I'm doing this from memory, so forgive me if I'm percentage point off. Notably, it showed 93% black new yorkers agreed with that sentiment mm. and what fascinates me with with our guy eric adams is he seems to get this on some of these issues where public sentiment is actually at mm-hmm. and to speak accordingly uh new yorkers overwhelmingly do not like homeless encampments so he took the sweeps that were already happening quietly under de blasio but frequently and he leaked to the new york times yeah man i'm doing more of these sweeps the question i think continuously is how competent he is at pulling these things off and how able he is in action to live up to his straddling rhetoric where it's we can't have these encampments we can't have wildness and anarchy on our streets Mm -hmm. but we also can't treat People indecently, homeless people, rowdy young men, anyone else. But you know what's interesting, Harry? Because Eric Adams now is cutting off the press. Listen, he's not coming on the podcast. He's made it very clear. We get it. Bear Adams, you have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come, we are fair and we're diligent. So that's just what it is. But the fact that, you know, de Blasio would go in front of the firing squad on Brian Lair every week. And Errol Lewis. And Where you at, Mr. Man? every week, right? Knowing good and well, he was not always walking into like, aren't you so great? Isn't this city so wonderful? Like he sat there and he, he had to just, he had to justify things. You know, sometimes he did it really well. Sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he was a little defensive. Sometimes he was like, okay, wasn't aware, duly noted. The fact that Eric Adams is cutting off, and you know, I think Brian Lair and Errol Lewis are two of like the greatest New Yorkers in the history of New York, especially New York journalism, but just like their their understanding and respect for all different types of New Yorkers um, and how they, I think, are really interested in making sure they don't just hear from the District 10s of the world and the District 12s of the world. 
Um, the fact that he is essentially said, no, I'm not going to see, go and talk to them because, you know, now all of a sudden they're not there. I think that is actually more dangerous than insulting. The question, of course, is if he's going to be held to account mm-hmm. by the public with the press as the intermediary. And he seems to be betting that he will not be. But like a uh, former press loving prosecutor would often say, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. And as this mayor <laughs> likes to say, whatever else it's going to be, it's not going to be boring. Right. So much more to discuss going and forward. Yes, before we leave. You know, I have to say it because I've been tweeting about it. For all of you listeners who are enjoying the U.S. Open, you better thank the late, great Mayor David Dinkins. Okay? Giuliani tried to shut it down. He tried to, you know, squash the deal. Everyone who's celebrating Serena Williams right now and all the millions and billions of dollars that are flowing to this city for the next week and a half, thank Mayor Dinkins and the vision that is the U.S. Open. That's my soapbox for today. Boom. F. FAQ. Thank you for listening to FAQ NYC. We're now part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc. And your support makes it all possible. Go to thecity.nyc slash donate if you want to become a member and join us. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research, and are also a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, online at thebrick.house. Thank you to Adam Kamara, who mixed and edited this episode. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back more with soon. <laughs>